Outlet Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome to The Profile, brought to you in partnership with Premier Christianity magazine. I'm Justin Briley, a former editor of the mag, inviting you to plunder the back catalogue of in-depth interviews with leading Christians by subscribing to The Profile podcast. And you can read more in the magazine too. Do go and get yourself a free sample copy at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Well, today on The Profile, my guest is Noel Trudinick, a well-known composer, musician and conductor who founded and led the All Souls Choir and Orchestra for many years. Noel recently took part in his final appearance at Prom Praise, an orchestral music event which has been an annual fixture at the Royal Albert Hall for over 30 years. And now at the age of 70, as Noel passes his All Souls conductor baton on to others, he's here to talk about his life, faith and musical ministry and to share some pieces of music that have been significant for him along the way. And by the way, you can hear Noel every Sunday at 7am here on Premier Christian Radio presenting All Souls in Praise. Noel, welcome along to The Profile. Justin, lovely to be here. And both of us have something in common. We're both in blue. We are. (laughs) And as a boy who was brought up in the 50s, the early 50s, nursery rhymes were quite important to me. So uh, little boy blue, come (laughs) blow up your horn. The sheep in the meadow, the cows in the corn. And uh, although I love wearing blue as you do, um, blow up your horn. I try not to blow my own trumpet, (laughs) Justin, but I try and blow the trumpet of Jesus. Amen. You know, Jesus, of course, is going to sound the final trumpet, <laughs> but the, the trumpet also has this gospel element about it, doesn't it? So we've allowed music over the years to sound out the gospel. Well, that was a very suitable introduction <laughs> to, a, to a musically sort of themed edition of the profile today. Um, we're going to be hearing some of the tracks that uh, just a few from a vast back catalogue that you could have selected from Noel today. But um, before we talk about all things that have, you know, been involved in your life and ministry up to the present, let's go right back to the beginning. Um, growing up, uh, were you were you were you part of a Christian household and where did music figure? Sure. My parents met as a result of the war. My mother was a Peckham South London school teacher and evacuated with her school. She was a young teacher. She just qualified in, uh, I think, 1939, uh, and she was billeted down to St. Clear, a little village just on Bobmin Moor, the other side of Plymouth, just mm. into Cornwall. And there, over the years, she met and really rather enjoyed uh, uh, an army man who <laughs> came back on leave from time to time, Harold Trudinick, and they sang Messiah together in the local Liscard Choral Society, but they enjoyed dances and so together. So they decided after the war that they would marry but uh, there was a demand for school teachers, so it was easier for them to move back to London, uh, where my mother continued to teach, and um, my father got a job uh, at County Hall, just on the River Thames. Uh, they married in 1947, uh, and I was born just at the end of the 40s there in 1949. But both of them were musical, and they sang, as I say. Uh, my mother was a very good pianist, uh, and uh, my father was a trumpeter, and he enjoyed ringing the bells in St. Clear church. Right. So uh, I think uh, just listening to my mother playing the piano and also going to church as well. I, mm. I was uh, taken to, to Sunday school and always enjoyed church. And I, was, I was always drawn and fascinated by the music. Also by the ceremony and the way people dressed up and all that sort of thing. That was quite important mm. to me at the time. Mm. So as soon as I could, I, I had piano lessons at the age of five and I joined the church choir soon after that. And not only the singing and the core repertoire and the camaraderie of being among other church musicians, but I did fall in love with the organ. 
Mm. And even at home, I tried to pretend when I was playing the piano that I was really playing an organ. <laughs> so I would learn to play almost with three hands, double up the sounds on the piano with lots of octaves in the bass and that sort of thing, right. just to make it sound very grand. Yes. And it won't be a surprise to you that one of the things I enjoy playing, along with my piano music, I love playing hymns and still love playing hymns. And my favorite key at the time was E-flat, and I won't bore you now, but there are lots of wonderful <laughs> hymn tunes, like Abide With Me and At The Name Of Jesus, that are in E-flat there major. There you go. So was music also an introduction into Christian faith for you in some ways? I think it was. I think it was. Uh, I was taken to church. My uh, parents were believers, uh, and my mother, I remember, would read the Bible and pray with me at night. And uh, I think from the earliest age, one, I've prayed, uh, and secondly, I've loved the Scriptures, you know, a lot of the Bible readings, obviously, were the sort of stories. And in the early 50s, as well at school, just at a local primary school, we were given lots of scripture and Bible readings and mm. Bible stories. So I think uh, I, was, I was imbibing scripture uh, and a Christian ethic, really, from, from the earliest, earliest days. But I think it's true that um, the music and the song of the church was what really nailed me and was a magnetic field for me. And uh, obviously, originally, particularly uh, classical music and church music and the, the choral tradition. So from my local parish church, uh, when I was about 10, I gained a position in the choir at Southwark Cathedral. Mm, as a chorister. Yeah, I was. Mm. Uh, right beside London Bridge. Uh, Southwark is, as you know, the diocese spans south London. St. Paul's Cathedral mm. spans the north of uh, the river. And there I grew with Evensong, what was it, five times a week and uh, a full plethora mm. of services mm. on a Sunday. Yes, I enjoyed dressing up in my cassock and <laughs> surplus. I enjoyed something of the pomp and ceremony uh, of the processions and the cross and the candles and all that sort of stuff. But that's an interesting development because a lot of that later sort of fell by the wayside. But actually the central truth of the Christian gospel and what was drawing me to Christ continued. What, what I was going to ask in that sense was I've, I've spoken to other people who are now Christians and perhaps had some kind of choral background as a chorister, but for whom it never really impacted them on a spiritual level, but much as they enjoyed the music. It, sometimes I think people can sort of somehow miss the, yeah, the spiritual yes. level of it, but... but for some reason you I didn't. I don't want to sound a swat, but to be <laughs> honest, I think I was just as interested in the sermons on yeah. a Sunday. And at Southwark in the, uh, in the early, well, it was, this was 1960 by this time. Mm. I was a chorister from about 1960 to 1965. Mervyn Stock was, was the vicar. Was, sorry, Mervyn Stock was the bishop. Yes. And uh, there were various other luminaries who were on the staff, George Reindorp, who went on to be the first bishop of Guildford and Salisbury. And they spoke really well, and I, mm. was, I was mesmerized by their messages. Um, okay, maybe drawn into a slightly liberal theology. I'm not quite sure whether that was the case. But certainly the person of Christ. I used to love ordination services and the reading mm. that we used to have from Ephesians chapter 2. So Jesus was still very, was certainly very important. And I yeah. do know other colleagues who, for whom they're there for the music, but they're not there really for the Christian experience. Um, let's, before we go any further, listen to a piece of music. We're going to be introducing a few pieces of music. It's a sort of a, our version of Desert Island Discs today on the profile. Um, again, so many you could have chosen from, but, but we chose one um, that's got an orchestral sort of feel to it. Um, do you want to introduce our first track? From Southwark Cathedral, I went on to study music at the Guildhall School of mm. Music. And I did three specialities when I was there as part of my undergraduate work. One was to train as a composer, secondly to train as a conductor, and thirdly to train uh, as an organist. In some ways, God has used those three elements. But conducting and conducting orchestras has always been a great pleasure. 
And fast spinning on, it may seem strange so that somebody who was a chorister at Southwark Cathedral went on to be really almost for 50 years the director of music at one of the great Anglican evangelical yeah, churches, yeah. All Souls Langham Place. But that's, that's, that's indeed what happened. And at All Souls, one of the things, one of the tasks I was uh, charged to uh, undertake uh, by Michael Bourne, who appointed me in 1972, was to develop a Christian orchestra. Mm. And that was fairly easy at All Souls because the uh, All Souls Langham Place, many of your listeners and viewers will know that uh, that's in the west end of London, just north of Oxford Circus. Right next lot to of, the BBC. Right next to BBC Broadcasting House. And it attracts people. It attracts professional musicians, the church stars. It attracts a lot of music students. And to actually coordinate those people into an orchestra was, was a fairly easy thing to do. Uh, in the early 70s, if you sang, of course, you could join a choir. Most mm. churches had a choir. Mm. But the idea was that if you played the trumpet or the saxophone or the cello or the flute or guitar, uh, there was nothing really for you to do on a Sunday. You just sat in the mm. congregation. Mm. So I suppose these were pioneering days where we got people out of the pews uh, and not only the choir, but formed them into these instrumental bands. In fact, we even dared to call it an orchestra, <laughs> hence the forming of the All Souls Orchestra. And when you have an orchestra, you have to write music for an orchestra. There have to be people. And initially it was me, mm. uh, a skilled, I suppose, in composition and orchestration. You have to produce these orchestral scores. And you decide that, well, we don't want the brass to play all the time, mm. otherwise it's going to pour. But we want the strings, and we want to write music that stretches people and is satisfying to yeah. play, not terribly, not just lots of semi-briefs or mm -hmm. dotted minims. So you develop the idea of the orchestra and the art of orchestration. And it's, if you like, the, the backroom boy, the orchestrator, who is the person who provides the music that the orchestra plays. So in other words, that person provides, if you like, the voice, the sound, yes. the heart of any orchestra. Mm. And over the years, we've developed Clive Malabar, Jonathan Rathbone, Daniel Woolley, various other people who have been our backroom boys. They've been the orchestrators. Great. And without them, you'd have no orchestra. We're going to hear a piece from one of them I right know. now. Clive Malabar, a special one. Mm. Well, let's say because of All Souls in Praise which now is repeated at nine o'clock on a Sunday night as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he produced this wonderful piece, which we've always enjoyed playing, called Celebration. Sounds a good Christian title. Uh, Celebration by Clive Malabar, and I've always chosen that as my signature tune for our All Souls in Praise program. So I'd love to uh, have a little sample of Clive Malabar, and if you like, as a thank you for all he's contributed in terms of wonderful music over many years. <laughs>
Of music there, Clive Malabar. Is that the way to pronounce it? Malabar. Malabar. Yes. <laughs> With uh, celebration, which, as you say, has become the the signature tune, if you like. Now you of often go to America. Music. I know both in California and certainly in Florida, where I've been. You drive down the highway, and there's a big sign for Malabar. So, <laughs> even Malabar Beach. There so you go. Um, it's a good name. Well. Um, that that gives you a sense of the the grandeur and yes. the, the, the the sort of drama as well yes. that you often bring to your own pieces as well. Um, I, I mean, when it came to to, to expressing music, what did, have, I mean, I think of you as an, a larger than life character yourself, actually, and I think your music sort of evokes that as well. Have, have you always been like this, Noel? Have you always been a bit of a, you know, a larger than life character growing up and in your youth and so on? I suppose I have to tell the story that uh, in my teenage years, I enjoyed acting a lot. And I enjoyed acting at school in, uh, you know, Aristophanes and Shakespeare and Bertolt Brecht and all that stuff. And when I was, I think it was either 16 or 17, I had a place at the National Youth Theatre. Uh, I had been with them and then I, uh, they asked me to go back for another summer Troilus and Cressor, I think we were due mm-hmm. to do. But I also had a place on a Royal School of Church music course where I was going to be uh, doing some leadership there. And um, I couldn't do both. And because I think I wanted to go off with some friends to do a bit of holiday, the, the, the Royal School of Church music was a little bit shorter. So in the end, I chose the, the church music course. And I suppose that was the defining moment in my life where I went for music rather than drama. Right. But, you know, nothing is wasted in the Lord's <laughs> gifting, is it? And Indeed. I think the fact that I love being in front of people and I'm at ease in front yes. of people and with the voice and the face and all that sort of thing, I'm sure the acting ability has been helpful I was and going has helped to say, me be a, well, you use the word larger than life, communicator. Well, anyone who's been to a prom praise or any of the events where you conduct will know that you're just as engaged with the audience as you are with the orchestra. Well, I think any concert situation, but particularly a church situation as well, you're talking about a church family. People mm. are gathering together. And many of those people are committed Christians. But you do know that on the outside, there will be some who are searching. There will be many who are hurting. Uh, there will be some with no faith at all. Uh, and uh, people are there either under sufferance or because they've chosen to be there. There's all sorts of situations that you're in. So to be the genial host, but also to be unashamed about Christ and his presence and his motivation, that these are Christian events, prom praise or church service is unmistakably a place where we encounter Jesus and where we respond to him. Mm. Uh, I always wanted, therefore, draw people in perhaps who aren't fully uh, signed up or they're not yeah. fully part of the whole gospel Because music story. has a tremendous ability to, to bridge those gaps. It does, it? partly because it's a gift of God. Uh, you know, the way the harmonies and the, the tones and the upper mm. partials of sound all mixed together, the whole idea of melody being horizontal and harmony being vertical, that is a gift of God's creation. But it's a gift to all humankind. Everybody can in, appreciate different music, mm. whether it's Cuba music or jazz in New mm. Orleans or whether it's classical music in Vienna, whatever it happens to be. Um, we're given this ability to appreciate music. But I think as a Christian, 
when you know in Colossians chapter 1, around verse 15, it talks about Jesus is king of creation through him, Jesus by him, mm. through him, for mm. him, all these things. Mm. Uh, all things were made. Well, presumably that means that Jesus has created music, and Jesus has created music for himself, mm. for it to glorify him or to give us a sense of his presence. Therefore, music is Christian. And uh, I think we have this injunction to sing to the Lord that the Psalms don't say, if you feel like it, Justin, (laughs) or maybe if you know this one, join in. There's actually a stronger implication there. Use music, use this gift of music to experience the the Lord, the creator, the redeemer. And sing a new song. To sing to the Lord and Uh, sing a fresh song. Yes, absolutely. And and what have you seen? I mean, in that sense, I think music has obviously the ability to connect us with God in a a transcendent way. And and perhaps... Perhaps even that evangelistic aspect of it, it, it yes. brings people into the presence of God. So you can engage with it. You yes. don't have to be actively involved. So take Choral Evensong at yes. St. Paul's Cathedral. That great sense of mystery and the glorious choral music coming out, you think, wow, I'm, I'm in another sphere it, it here. It transports you, doesn't it? It does. It does. But uh, at a gospel hall in Brixton, mm. and when you're joining in with a, mm. a strong beat and you feel like uh, coming again with a chorus... Uh, you're drawn in there. I think whatever it is, whatever the style of music, music does have this great power to release, but also to give that impression of God's presence. Is is there any story of any individual where, where you saw the power of music to bring someone closer to yeah, God? The wonderful to... thing was people said, uh, members of the All Souls Orchestra, they're all Christians, right. are they? Uh, and the answer is most of them are Christians. Mm. And uh, they, they have to have a sensitivity to the sure. Christian gospel. In other words, their lifestyle needs to be in tune, if yeah. you like, with, with even if they're not fully signed up. Mm. So what we do sometimes, if we've got the odd vacancy and somebody says, look, my flatmate could be free, they're a great trumpeter, or we need an you know, extra percussion player, and mm. somebody says, well, actually, I'm playing in Miserable, and the other player is free tomorrow. Would right. you, shall I ask them? Yeah, yeah. But so they know what they're coming to. But actually, the story that uh, we're saying is that over the years, I can think of 10, 12 um, people who were not Christians. When they come and play with us, as a result, they then stick with us and come back Mm. and they hear the message and they Mm. come to services. Mm. Through the ministry of the orchestra, numbers have have turned to Christ, have become Christians. So being a member of the orchestra, as well as the music itself, has uh, drawn and extended the kingdom. Obviously, there's always been this base for you of All Souls, Langham Place, um, which, of course, doesn't just have a wonderful musical history, Mm -hmm. but also, of course, the the theology and preaching um, uh, of people like Michael Bourne and John Stott and others since uh, is also quite remarkable. Um, How how much of an influence have, have the various people who have led the church had on you over the years? I didn't know a great deal about All Souls when I applied. Mm. Uh, Previously, I'd been an organist uh, and choir master in a church in Beckenham in South London uh, for three or four years. Uh, And then just up the road, I was still at home living with my parents. Just up the road, uh, three doors up the road from us was Hasler Soldum. And he'd seen me grow up over the years. He knew that I was interested in the organ and church music. Now, he was the bursar. It was called bursar, like the financial operator or administrator (laughs) of All Souls. Right. That was his job. And quite often at school holidays, he'd said, I mean, if you're a loose end, I'll drive you up. And he introduced me to the, the current, my predecessor at All Souls was an American, Clark Bedford, who was very kind to me. And he let me play the organ. In fact, they had several churches with different organs and we would go around and I was able to practice it also. So I began to know, uh, if you like, the potential, the facilities, the uh, mm. instruments and things that were mm. All Souls without even attending services. Um, but, of course, once I said that I was interested in applying for the job that was advertised, then I began to hear more about John Stott. Uh, 
at the previous church, I think that's where, if you like, the gospel had really zapped me. There had been a mm. wonderful youth pastor, Bill Roberts, at my previous church in Beckenham. And listening to his preaching, I think that was would be my conversion point, right. where I really understood what the gospel was, that Jesus had shed blood. He was the sacrifice in my place, mm. and I had to allow his sacrifice to make me acceptable to God, all that sort of thing. That fell into place intellectually when I was at Beckenham, I so I would have been about 19 or 20. So I had begun to hear about John Stott and his writing, uh, and his various books, The Cross of Christ and uh, Basic Christianity. Uh, but you're quite right. I was appointed by Michael Bourne, who himself was a musician, had published Youth Praise, and he was interested in music. But John Stott was still on the staff. In fact, he was the rector when I first went. I see. A little later on in 75, they swapped over and John Stott became rector emeritus and Michael Bourne was the rector. But it's quite true. Norman Anderson, who was a great apologetist as well, mm. uh, was the lay reader, David Turner. And so some very good people, well, Actually, world-class people, yes. world-class theologians were, were preaching week by week by week. And I was captive audience, and I really grew very much. Mm. So fabulous to work with John Stott, with Michael mm. Bourne. Richard Buse then succeeded Michael when Michael went on to be Bishop of Chester, uh, and most recently Hugh Palmer. And so I've been well-guarded and well-guided and well-taught. And, and a treat, really, for anyone who's been a member of that church over the last several decades mm. to have both the musical and preaching abilities of, of yes. uh, I mean, in, in a way, All Souls, uh, because of those various influences, has become, if you like, one of the most recognizable churches in the UK and probably in the world. And lovely sense. to have that balance. I yes. think we need both. In other words, the teaching and preaching ministry. Yes. And there are lots of courses and things going mm. on in the week which consolidate the faith. But also the shop window of music, but also the fellowship yeah. among yeah. many musicians. A lot of classical musicians say they find it's a bit like being in a tree. They find safety in the branches of all souls that they're both recognized but used in their, in their way. Whereas we know many churches are just having bands. And if you mm. have to play a classical instrument, well, you, you're no not involved. You. That's yeah. right. I mean, just briefly, before we hear another piece of music, um, one of the well-known names associated uh, over the decades with All Souls has been Billy Graham, yes. uh, who has often preached there uh, and certainly has partnered with All Souls and some of the people there in his various missions in the UK. Uh, I, I assume you've obviously played at a number of his events. I have. Uh, I think in 1954, when there was the famous Harringay Crusades, mm. John Stott, a recent rector of the yes. church, was very welcoming to Billy and his whole team. I think they worshipped with us on Sundays regularly during that time. And John Stott, plus many members of the church, uh, as it were, supported that ministry that was going on. Uh, and I think many people were converted and came to All Souls as a result of the yes. Billy Graham mission. So All Souls has always been, if you like, piggybacking on the back of yes. Billy Graham and, and what he was done. So our church uh, grew immensely through the ministry of Billy Graham. So I think reciprocally, they always have worshipped. So it might be Cliff Barrows or it might be the members of the Graham family, mm. Graham and Graham Lotz, as well as Billy and uh, other people, Cliff, Cliff Barrows, Ted Smith and stuff. They've often come to us on a Sunday. But as a result of them coming to All Souls, they quite liked the ministry of the All Souls Orchestra. Mm. And so three things. Uh, in 1992, uh, Billy Graham was having a ministry in uh, a big crusade in Moscow. And because the, the Russians are very musical, they thought one way to show credibility to this Billy Graham was to actually have some concerts in the famous Conservatoire of Music in, mm -hmm. in where Tchaikovsky and Shostakovich, they'd all done their first performances. Uh, so uh, they paid for uh, also as orchestra to go out and uh, have two concerts 
uh, in the Moscow Conservatoire. And then a little later on, 1995, I was asked to music direct uh, the mission to Toronto. So there we were in the mm-hmm. 64,000 seater Sky Dome wow. Stadium. <laughs> and I was there with the White Stick conducting, choir of only 2,000. Only 2,000. Only 2,000. <laughs> and then the same in Ottawa in 98. Yeah. So some, after a while, uh, they trusted, I think, what was doing in all souls. And I've had this great pleasure yes. of being involved yeah, with that, some that, of those ministers. Quite a remarkable thing to see, I'm sure, from the seat you occupied. Let's have another piece of music. Um, we're going to go to some of your influences now, because in, in a way, you, I, I think of you as having brought in something of the theatricality of the shows and that sort of thing. I know that I think your scholarship as a, as a chorister yes. was granted by uh, Hammerstein. Oscar Hammerstein, Hammerstein, a great Broadway lyricist. Yes. And that was a joy. So there I was at Southern Cathedral as a boy learning about Anglican choral music. At school, I was learning about Beethoven and Bach. But there was a little gap, Justin, and that is that... Uh, the Hammerstein family would uh, often be in London, uh, shows like The King and I and Carousel and Oklahoma and South Pacific and the Sound of it, all, the, all, the, all those famous shows, uh, were, were showing at Drury Lane Theatre during the 50s. And the Hammerstein family would often be resident in London. Uh, and they enjoyed coming to, they enjoyed coming to uh, Southwark Cathedral. Although it was a Jewish family, uh, we haven't got to t- time to go in about Oscar <laughs> Hammerstein, but uh, his mother was, Oscar Hammerstein's mother was a, a Scottish Presbyterian. And they see. would attend St. Thomas's Fifth Avenue. I see. So the equivalent was to go to Southwark Cathedral. Southwark, all, the, all its American links, John Harvard was mm. a boy there. He was baptized there. Um, and so when Oscar died in 1960, 1959 was their last show, The Sound of Music. 1960, he died. Uh, the cathedral authorities persuaded Dorothy Hammerstein, his widow, to endow this special scholarship mm. for the two leading choristers. And I was one of the first recipients of this I Hammerstein see. chanter, which means, you know, arm twisted up behind my back. <laughs> I was forced to go to first nights and watch rehearsals <laughs> and stand in the wings and meet the cast and go to parties. So suddenly, in addition to all this classical music, Broadway music became something that absolutely yeah. knocked me out. And, and must have had a big influence, obviously, going forward it did. musically. The lights, the scene changes, you know, the dancing, well, but particularly the orchestrations. Well, what are we going to hear next in, in honour of that particular influence? Well, I did love, uh, obviously, Richard Rogers and Cole Porter, but uh, George Gershwin was obviously one of the favourites as well. And through prom praise, where you look at God's gift of music in its, in its vast variety, both secular and sacred music, uh, through prom praise, I've had a chance to conduct uh, some of these wonderful pieces by Gershwin, the piano concerto. But An American in Paris seems to be one of my favorites. And if you like, the style of Gershwin's orchestration is something that affected me. So you would see that in some of, well, in fact, even in our recent All Souls Orchestra orchestrations, you'll get lots of glitzy touches, touches mm. of Broadway. Yes. And where do they first come? Well, from George Gershwin.
Gershwin's An American in Paris, one of many theatrical influences, I suppose, on you uh, from Broadway and, and elsewhere. Uh, and, and in a way, as you said, you, you've wanted to bring both those worlds together. I think the orchestra can give great musical variety and colour. And you sense even from that short clip, there's a great joy in orchestral music. And the orchestra, if you like, bridges both the classical world and the um, more contemporary world. Because onto the orchestra, you can bolt a, a rhythm section. Mm. So you can have a bass guitar and you have guitars playing and a drum kit and a keyboard or whatever it is. And they, of course, mix in as part of the orchestra. And that's also part of the sort of Broadway way of, of scoring as well. So you can turn very easily to contemporary music. But also you can give great grandeur and splendor to some of mm. the well-known, yeah. much-loved traditional hymns. Mm. And if you like, you reframe them, you polish them up, you send them to the cleaners. So that a well-known, you know, a worship the king or glorious above or whatever it happens to be is suddenly a thrilling experience yes, yeah. when given orchestral accompaniment. We will talk, of course, soon about prom praise and, and what that has achieved in the decades that it's been going. Um, and we'll also talk about really how you've engaged with the birth of what you might call the modern worship music uh, as well and, uh, and some of the various aspects of that during your life. Um, my guest today on the profile is Noel Tredinick, well-known composer, musician and conductor who founded and led the All Souls Choir and Orchestra for many years. And we'll be continuing our conversation here on the profile very shortly. Premier Christianity magazine in this month's issue. Nona Jones is a top executive at Facebook. Here's her advice to Christians on social media. It doesn't matter how many followers you have if those followers are not following Jesus through you. We're meant to be conduits of the gospel. If we're building followings to ourselves and to our own brands, um, then we've missed the mark. And that's just the truth. Read the full interview plus news, features, reviews and more exclusively in Premier Christianity magazine. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back to the programme. I'm Justin Briley. Don't forget that the profile is brought to you in partnership with Premier Christianity magazine. If you'd like to get hold of a free sample copy of the mag, do go to their website at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. I'm joined by Noel Tredinick, composer, musician and conductor on the programme today. And we've been talking about your early life and all the influences that were brought to bear as you got into music, conducting, orchestration and so on. No. In the 70s and 80s, of course, we had really the, the flourishing of what you might call uh, contemporary Christian music, the modern worship music scene and so on. Uh, people like Graham Kendrick and others bringing this, this fresh band-led, probably more informal sound to many churches. Now, now I, as I understand it, All Souls has had a long history of choral and under you, obviously, orchestral music as well. Was, was that influx in the 70s and 80s something you embraced or, or resisted at some level? I think because uh, those who have been listening up to now will know that I do, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Catholic in terms of musical right. style. 
I do really get something out of so many different uh, qualities and styles of music. Um, and it's true that, uh, let's say, during the, the Second World War and as, as the church emerged after the Second World War, it was tempted to be the more the Anglican tradition of a hymn uh, and a choir and an organ that would dominate church worship. The Salvation Army had their bands, of mm. course. But that was really the monochrome style of music that would exist. And therefore, uh, in Cambridge, there was the 20th century church light music group, people like Patrick Appleford and uh, Geoffrey Beaumont, who began to experiment with dance music. And I think the idea was that if you're going to draw people into the church, you need not just rarefied music that is of, of a subset, which you mm. might call Anglican choral music. You need music that's more uh, approachable music. Of the, if you like, Radio 2 type yes. music needs mm. to come into the church because the ma vast majority of people, certainly after the war, that was the, 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 you know, the Glenn Millers and the dance music mm. that they had mm. uh, appreciated and had, had kept them going for so long, the BBC Light Music Program. Mm. So there were elements of, of jazz and of folk music uh, that needed to be brought into the church and dance music as well. And then um, people like the Fisher Folk and uh, St. Michael the Belfry York, and particularly my own Michael Bourne and his youth praise. Mm. Michael would tell the same story that the youth needed music of their generation. This was before the Beatles. Mm. But, you know, Cliff Richard and Tommy Steele were emerging, mm, Lonnie sure. Donegan and yeah, Adam Faith. Yeah. Names long before your time. <laughs> but uh, they were wanting to have music that was a little like that in church so they could begin to identify. And people who enjoyed, whether it was Irish folk music or Czechoslovakian folk music, they wanted to begin to have a little bit of folk music in yeah. the church. I heard the voice of Jesus say, come unto me and rest. That lovely old English folk yes, tune. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, so it was beginning to get uh, some experimentation. And then through uh, Sounds of Living Waters and Fresh Sounds uh, and through Youth Praise, the idea was that you developed a guitar group in church. Mm. Uh, and some begans, uh, bands began to emerge. And then you had the early days of Spring Harvest and Youth for Christ and the emergence of, yes, the great Graham Kendrick. Still going and still writing wonderfully. Mm, mm. And I think uh, the church owes a lot to Graham uh, in terms of bringing quality uh, to guitar-type music. And even now we say, don't we, we say, now what sort of a church do you come from? Are you an organ church <laughs> or are you a drum-led church? Yes. Occasionally, as in all souls like a place, you'll have both. Yes. But normally it's one or the other. You have a band or mm. you have a choir and an mm, organ. Mm. And, I mean, I believe God inhabits both those. And... Uh, since I've retired from All Souls, I, I, although I'm often busy uh, weekends leading uh, conferences and doing uh, church music programs, when I'm free, I have the choice. Do I want to go to a, a drum <laughs> church or do I want to go to an organ church? And the, the answer is often I do both. I might go to my local church, All Saints Peckham, on a Sunday morning where there's a nice soul survivor band uh, mm. and I love that worship. Mm. And then I might go to the Temple Church or St. Paul's Cathedral in the afternoon and enjoy something that's more yes. transcendent. Yes because I believe uh, I can worship in both those different ways. But in the 70s and 80s, yes, there was this emergence of um, uh, band music, as well as the orchestra at All Souls. We reflected that and developed our own worship bands as well, mm. because that became music of the people, music that people could identify with and sing along. And so the early Stuart Townends and Chris Tomlins uh, and uh, Keith Getty eventually and some of these, these early writers, Dave Bilber and Noel Richards, uh, these were all people whose songs uh, we began yeah, to embrace yeah. and enjoy. I, I mean, I think there have been some excellent musicians and composers. You mentioned a few of them there um, who have really brought something fresh and new to 
to to the church at the same time obviously the contemporary music scene has its critics some people who say well a lot of these worship artists and music sounds rather samey yeah. uh, can be rather banal sometimes mm-hmm. especially in terms of the actual content of the the lyrics and so on don't i can't hold a candle to some of the great hymns and so on in there the richness of the theology there. What, what's your feeling? Do you think we're, we're, well, we're in a Bible good place? Well, the Bible in Ephesians, in Ephesians uh, 5, Colossians 3, talks about, it distinguishes, doesn't it, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I do spend some of my life sort of trying to define what those different <laughs> things are. Um, but clearly a hymn is something that is more metrical and is more richly endowed theologically. It's more poetic. It's more mm. thought through. It has many ideas that are developed in it. And there is still a place for hymns, both old hymns. Yes, we often quote about Bishop Heber or mm. Charles Wesley or Isaac Watts or John Newton. By the way, you have to be careful. It's not Isaac Newton or John Watts. Is it? You have to make sure you get those the right way around. <laughs> Easy They're to get them people. confused, yes. Uh, and there are these all wonderful hymns. And then uh, I'm chairman of something called Jubilati Hymns, which uh, through people like Michael Saywood, Michael Perry, Michael Bourne, Christopher Idle, are still producing hymns. Uh, that are clearly theological statements and beautifully crafted uh, in, our, in our modern day. Timothy Dudley Smith, Tell mm. Out My Soul, Lord for the Years, Name of All Majesty, a recent one that they wrote for the 150th anniversary of Scripture Union, uh, Lord of Unchanging Grace. Uh, people are still writing hymns, uh, but they are of a more four-square meter. And I do think Stuart Townend and Keith Getty have done a service because they, they tell us they love hymns mm. and they want congregations to continue to sing hymns and for hymns to never die. Mm. And there a lot of, you know, Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe mm. new life into mm. this weary soul of mine and in Christ alone yes. and, you know, to see the dawn. They're more hymns than they are songs. That's right. So mm. something that's of a lighter content. And even a hymn can have a chorus like, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, great mm. is your mm. faithfulness, mm. whatever it happens to be. It doesn't mean that something with a chorus is a song and something without a chorus is a hymn. So it's quite hard to sometimes distinguish what they are. But what we're really saying, we want sometimes to have simple expressions of faith, something that is just, Lord, I love you. You know, take me farther as I want you know, to. Or what it might be, Matt Redmond, you know. Yeah. Uh, and Lord, I want to think upon the cross where you died. I'm blinded by your mercy and I'm broken inside. Uh, something that's simple to just reflect yes. on over and over. There's yeah. a place for that in a service. Uh, there's a place for prayerful songs, simple songs. There's a place even in a service for a singer or a soloist to sing to you. Mm. But there's... I think to have uh, only simple expressions uh, loses uh, the great intellectual element of our faith. In uh, 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about singing with the mind and with the heart. So we want the emotions to be Mm. stimulated, but I think we need to sing through and consider concepts. And we want to be led from one place to another in developing our our thought processes about who Christ is, who we're worshipping. And hymns with their richness and depth, of course, allow us to do that. So let's have both. Well, why don't we experience a little of a, a classic um, from from one particular aspect of that? Um, "Shine Jesus Shine," of course, was was Graham Kendrick's most well known song, it is, and, it, and it travelled over to the other side of uh, the Atlantic as well. It's if if there's one song that they know in America and is printed in books, it is <laughs> "Shine Jesus Shine." But Graham has done the church a service. Some people dismiss it, I think, because it mm. was because it became so way. ubiquitous. It I think was, yes. it was. But actually, now let's go back and. Can I put on my Laurence Olivier voice? Go on. If you look at the last <laughs> verse, this is pure poetry. Mm. Now, 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is familiar to many of you. As we gaze on your kingly brightness, so our faces display your likeness, ever changing from glory to glory, mirrored here, may our lives tell your story. Response? Shine, shine on me, you. shine yes. on me. And then all the words that blaze flow. It, I mean, when you it's go back and look terrific. at it, it, it is extremely well written. It and is. it's obviously got a great tune to it match. Is. And I think it's going to last till the uh, Lord returns. I, I agree. And I, actually, I remember very significantly, I grew up in a, an evangelical charismatic church where we were always singing the latest song, you know, the, the one that had just come out, you know. Mm-hmm. But I remember on the Sunday after 9-11, um, where everyone was absolutely shocked the one they sang was shine jesus shine Mm -hmm. hadn't sung it in years but the congregation sang it like it was it came alive uh, and Mm -hmm. there was you realized here's something that will stand the test of time this is the song in every generation there are certain songs Mm -hmm. in christ alone or ten thousand reasons but shine jesus shine is up there with them all and i think they have an eternal life an eternal purpose in god's way of providing us with wonderful songs to sing Let's hear a, a long-time collaborator of yours, Cliff Richards, uh, <laughs> singing the, this particular version of Shine, Jesus, Shine.
our faces display your likeness, ever changing from glory to glory. Mirrored here, may our lives tell your story. Shine on me. Shine on me. Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this land with your Father's glory. Sounds of Cliff Richard singing Shine Jesus Shine, a standard from Graham Kendrick. I think we think 1992, that one. 1992, but listen to this. Is this letting the cat out of the bag? Cliff did not know that song. And uh, what happened was that he came to record very graciously two tracks um, of Graham Kendrick's concert songs. Mm. That we were producing this album called Kendrick Collection, and we thought, well, because we were already having an association with Cliff, mm. I think we were doing some touring with him, and we said, oh, come on, guest vocal on, uh, it was the thing to do, guest mm. vocal on a couple of tracks. And Graham had written a song called Fighter, God put a fighter in me, he put a fighter in me, <laughs> and a song, a softer song called Burn On. We'd already recorded the accompaniments for those in All Souls, and then later on, maybe a week or two later, Cliff came into a studio to put on his voice put on the vocal track, which is the way of doing it. And he did them so quickly, this was Burn On and Fighter, that he, I think we had 45 minutes of the session right. left. And he says, oh, I'm here, is there anything else you want me to do? So we had already mixed uh, Lord, the Light of Your Love, Shine Jesus Shine. We said, well, do you want to sing this song? We'll put a lead vocal on, yeah, yeah. Shine Jesus Shine. What? So uh, we painstakingly had to teach it to him. <laughs> And in fact, he gets it wrong slightly in one or two Does places. He? <laughs> he sings what do you think? Because Cliff, you know, Cliff is Cliff. He will sing what he sings. And there's a bit, shine on me. Yes. And then Graham originally, shine on me. You did that seven. Yes. But Cliff decided to go up. And forever on, I think everybody now goes, shine on me, shine on me. They do. Yeah. So that was Cliff so that responsible was Cliff. for that. There you go. But uh, it's a lovely fun. recording. That's and really to hear great. him sing, we know that, you know. He's on the side of the angels, isn't he? And <laughs> uh, it's lovely to hear him singing it. No, that, that's marvellous. I mean, let's talk about Prom Praise, which obviously Cliff has appeared at on yes. uh, various occasions. Uh, and in a sense, where you do that thing of blending both the, the tradition mm -hmm. of the orchestral and uh, choral tradition with some of those more contemporary artists yes. that you bring on and feature as well. Um, wh where did it all begin? Because obviously it, it, it takes its name, if you like, from, from last the prom night of the pra yes. proms. Um, and what, what, what was, was that what effectively you know, made you it think It is of a it? Christian last night of the proms. Yes. And although it didn't go straight to the Albert Hall, we started prom praise in 1977 in All Souls Church in November. And then in the 80s, there was a magazine called Today Magazine or um, Crusade Magazine, I think it had been called. Yes, it, it would have been. David Winter then. people yes. edited it. And they decided they wanted to have more of a public profile. So they adopted the All Souls Orchestra and Prom Praise because by that time we were having to do two performances in All Souls and even then we couldn't get everybody mm. in. So clearly it was needing a bigger profile and some extra cash. And, there, and the Barbican Hall in London had just opened. So they thought it would be a nice way of, uh, if you like, baptizing mm. Christianly the, mm. this new Barbican Hall. 
So for three or four years, uh, Today magazine sponsored Prom Praise at the Barbican. And then it outgrew the Barbican. Wow. And we even had, you know, Mrs. Thatcher came twice. Wonderful. I was in the lift uh, in the interval. You go up and have a little reception. And so I was, in fact, quite close quarters to it because we were squashed in the lift going up to the third floor for this reception. <laughs> so I said, now, Mrs. Thatcher, wh what have you enjoyed so far? Oh, no, she said. I love give me oil in my lamp. <laughs> so anyway, I think we might have reprised at the end, give me oil in my lamp, just for Mrs. Thatcher. But uh, So uh, then in 1988, uh, we came home. Eventually, we were too big for the Barbican, and we said, we're going to go for the Albert Hall. Mm. And uh, so eventually, they took out the chairs, and you, we had a promenade area, just like you do for the BBC Last Night of the Proms in mm -hmm. September. And unashamedly, we had a Christian last night of the proms. And I think our motivation was that uh, Michael Bourne and I had obviously, as say, so many people do, watch prom the last night of the proms. And you're, you're caught up by the sheer enthusiasm. And we thought, well, rather than have nationalism or patriotism as the great theme, mm. sure, we share music. Why don't we have a Christian celebrating Christ? Christ is the person we're going to mm. get excited about. Mm. Christ is the one we're going to worship. So let's have a, a, that same enthusiasm, but for something that's lasting and eternal and wonderful, the person of Jesus Christ. So we still have the orchestra and a big choir, and we have notable soloists, but we want the audience. Yes. In fact, they do sometimes join in Absolutely. Land of Hope and Glory. They even join in. Mm. It, it's called Pomp and Circumstance March Number 1. But Christopher Idle has written not Land of Hope and Glory. We sing some Christian words, Glory yes. in the Highest to yes. the God of Heaven. And we do Jerusalem sometimes, but again to a version of Psalm uh, 150. So, but plus lots of other music. So of we, if you like, we take the formula of the mm. last night of the proms and baptize it and let Christ mm. be central. Mm. And I think the motivation, Justin, let me just get this in, is mm. really Psalm 150, mm. which talks about let everything that has breath praise the Lord. But then it also, it's talking about temple worship, and it gives us an insight into perhaps what happened in the temple. But, you know, all the instrumental groups are, are mentioned in Psalm 150. They praise are, him on they? the strings. Yes. So they're for the strings and the guitars and the violins and the cellos. Praise him on the pipes. Yes. And, uh, and then it's talking about the brass. Praise him, of course, on the trumpet, mm. the loud trumpet. And then it talks about all the percussion instruments, the temple bells. And it talks about the cymbals. Mm. Now, this is what I love. It also says, praise him on the soft cymbals. No, it doesn't say that. It says, <laughs> praise him cymbals. on the loud cymbals. So <laughs> whenever, whenever we do a song that's based on Psalm 150, my, my son is a drummer in yes. our church band. Whenever there's a loud cymbal, you get a loud cymbal that's from right, the drums. That's right, when you get to that bit. Well, isn't that right? And that says to me that worship and praise of God has to be exuberant. Mm. It has to be genuine. It has to be heartfelt. It has to be wearing your heart on your sleeve. Yeah, making a loud noise. So prom praise, if you like, epitomizes both a gospel opportunity with a worship opportunity. Mm. I mean, that's what it is. Yes. It's an outreach event, but mm. it's also a chance for Christians to worship. But to worship with unabandoned emotion. Yeah but also to share the gospel and to have, if you like, all these different varieties of music that Psalm 150 uh, encourages us to have. Well, I've been privileged to be part of the audience congregation, I suppose, for a, a number of those over the years. And and what I would say as well is is that as much as it's about the music and the celebration, you're the sort of person in the... You've been the person in the middle of it who, who really brings 
the, the congregation in up to life and, and you're always turning around and inviting people to join in. It, it's it's absolutely not a spectator sport when it comes to mm. that sort of thing, is it? You want Participatory. To... Mm. And uh, I do want the event to be totally inclusive. And what we find is that people invite their friends to prom praise mm. who they are not able to invite to church. They right. feel the friends are not ready. Mm. So the joy of a neutral venue, well, can you call the Albert Hall a neutral <laughs> venue? It's a glorious venue. But it you know, it's it's hasn't got any particular associations, certainly hasn't got any denominational associations. I think in its charter it's meant to be set apart for Christian worship among right. boxing and tennis and you know, fashion shows and everything else. But <laughs> you know, the the worship of Christ is there somewhere in its in its charter. Mm. But um people come and actually they're knocked out by the building. They're knocked out by the large numbers who attend. And actually hearing 6,000 people singing the praise of God, mm. can we say, is infectious. Yes. And people tell us, and they write and say, my friend who doesn't call himself a Christian was just had a sense of God's presence or mm. a sense of just wonder what, looking at all these people. I thought the church was dying. Mm. No. Mm. To come to prom praise and you mm. see the place... Uh, as in great rallies, the, the mm. place, place is, on, is alive with people singing. So it has this great, and also a lot of people come to us in lonely small churches. Yes. And they say, you know, I can hear myself sing because there's only another five in the congregation. And they take heart. So it's also for the believer. Yes, it's yes. also to be an encouragement to, to come and sing with lots of people. Mm. To have it underlined that Christ is alive and Christ is relevant in this world. And there are Christians who love mm. singing. Mm. And you're part of a great company of mm. earth and heaven mm. who's joining in singing together. So all that is, matters to us. Uh, and I think my job uh, as drawing out is to make people relax. Okay, we have to choose music. We try and choose music that is both familiar but also is new and uh, can be disseminated through Absolutely. So I think I think it's there. a wonderful mixture, actually, that you do of, of both new things that will, you know, challenge people but also familiar things yes. that, that people can Given see given a lovely orchestral absolutely larger than life yeah. setting I, I was privileged to be there for for your swan song if you like your final mm. um appearance at prom praise in fact uh, i was i was sharing the box with some of your family members which was lovely as well but the um what was that like for you it must it must have been difficult at one level as much as it's obviously a glorious celebration um of of, of a fantastic ministry difficult to let go of something like that yes in a way i think what i've always said is that prom praise is something that is god breathed not no ultradinic breathed and always there's been totally the assumption that prom praise will go on much it will continue on of course much longer than me so it's although i've been the person that's crafted it and as you've kind of said sort of inspired its style I'm pleased to say that um, prom praise is very much part of the All Souls ministry, and they see it as one of their biggest evangelistic opportunities of the year. And because they're based in London, they take, if you like, their local hall, their village Mm, hall, mm, which happens to be the Royal (laughs) Albert Hall. But, you know, they they adopt that, like Holy Trinity has a leadership, Holy Trinity Brompton has a leadership conference there. It's the place where big churches can can hire it and and, and, and own it and and use it wonderfully. So prompt praise will continue, and I'm pleased to say my successor is somebody, if you like, I've mentored and trained up over mm-hmm. 10, 12 years, Michael Andrews. And let's pray for him. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's got some shoulders to sit on, I agree, but also, you know, he's going to stand up and do what I've done. And bring his own style, he I'm does. sure. And, yeah. and I expect it and want it to change a little, as long as it still maintains those elements yeah. of yeah. outreach and inclusivity. Um, 
And uh, yes, All Souls continues to own it, and he's already doing a good job leading the musical All Souls charts. But I haven't totally lost contact. No, of course not. And, uh, you know, I've, if you like, gone freelance, and I do get invited back from time to time to conduct the All Souls Orchestra, uh, maybe for a session or for an old mm. concert here and there. And we've also developed over the years an overseas ministry. Mm. We've been to Romania and Bulgaria and Greece and South Africa. And some of those things continue. And I've got a role to play in that. So I want to ask you, after we've heard some more music, about some of your favorite overseas ventures as well with the, with the orchestra and choir. But um, let's, um, for our final piece of music, would you like to introduce... Um, uh, we're going back to what we started with, Clive Malabar. Um, but what's the Clive song? Malabar, one of our great arrangers. But also over the years, I've had so many wonderful singers, classical mm. singers, contemporary singers, opera singers, uh, that I've had the privilege of conducting. And uh, singer-songwriters as well as uh, people who just bring goose pimples to yeah. you know, your back as they, as they start singing. Uh, Kathleen Ferguson, uh, Michaela Ferguson, just one of many. You remember at the last prom praise, I couldn't choose which soprano. I mean, there are, I think, 14 sopranos we've used in our time. So nine of them got together. It's safe making the choice. Do you remember? And they all did Behold the That's Man. Right. We had them all singing yeah, together, a little wonderful. bit each, and they all yeah. joined together. Anyway, this seems to be a, a lovely tribute to the many singers that I've enjoyed. But Sing of the Lord's Goodness is in five, four times. So one, two, three, four, five, ba-dum, ba-dum, bum, bum. But also, I think it's one of these wonderful fusion uh, arrangements by uh, Clive Malabar that brings, if you like, the big band element in. And what it says is, here's a simple Christian song. Ernest Sands wrote it originally. Mm. And when it's in the hands of a, a skilled orchestrator it then is transformed. It takes on another life. Mm. And I think it's not only celebrating uh, Kathleen singing, leading the audience. It's, it's uh, recorded at the at prom prayers at the Albert Hall. But it shows how the All Souls Orchestra can transform something. It's a bit like, if you like, the loaves and fishes. And then when the Holy Spirit and the orchestra all work together for Christ's glory, it, you, you get a, it's more than the sum of the parts.
What a lovely ending that has. Um, I like the play out at the end. And actually, also, orchestrations are known for key changes, Justin. So right. <laughs> I used to, well, I still do, and, and quite enjoy them on the organ. Yes. Because sometimes for the last verse, even of a standard hymn, mm. I worship the king, whatever yes. it happens to be, praise my soul, the king of heaven. There's often a doxology. The last verse is all about angels yes. and, you know, eternity and heaven. Mm. Mm. And somehow I think you need to be key transposed yes. in more than one Helps, way than another. Yeah. So it's quite good. Also. I, so when I'm playing the organ for services and I tell the band, look, we're going to go up to E flat for the last one. It just gives it that sense of finality and yes. being in the presence of yeah. God. So I love key Absolutely. changes. There we go. Um, it's been such a joy to share some of these songs with you across the course of the program, Noel. Um, you mentioned that the your work has taken you all over the world. Are there any particular you know, special memories you have of playing in unusual parts of the globe? Sure. I think in the early days, so I was at 1972 is when I went to All Souls. I think we did, since since we were doing pioneering work, encouraging both people to sing contemporary music and to sing with instruments and to sing with bands. And uh, I remember soon, I think maybe it was 1979, um, being asked to lead the music at a CMS, Church Missionary Society's Conference, in Katoomba, mm. which is in the Blue Mountains just near Sydney. And to see people's eyes opening wide, scales falling from the eyes, mm. that they'd been in a very traditional situation, mm. to hear some of those ideas that we'd already developed in London before their very eyes and seeing how they themselves could expand their style of music mm. was a great encouragement. So, yeah, so over the years, the United States, at both colleges, Baptist and Presbyterian colleges, I've had a number of associations. Mm. We've even established a trust company called Langham Arts America, which is, it means a lot of Americans very kindly donate to our music ministry mm. fund. South Africa. But then uh, most recently in France, uh, mm. Fiona and I have some French connections. Our brother-in-law lives in France. Um, and we realized France was a great mission field. And uh, the Protestant church in France, whether it's the uh, Église Reformée or some of the uh, Église uh, Evangelique uh, or Bon Nouveau, the, some of the new gospel elements in France, were, I think, needing to raise their profile. They were doing some wonderful work locally, and, and churches, Protestant churches, were growing. And uh, I felt that having some series of concerts and larger-scale events uh, would just help the, if you like, the true church, the Bible-believing church, to, to grow in, in, in France. Mm. So for about, I think it's 12 years now, um, most summers and on other occasions as well, we take our All Souls Orchestra and go around different parts in mm -hmm. France. And we know I've got some lovely associations with the Fédération of the Protestants and the Fédération of the Baptists, and we're beginning to do some conferences around. So to see God using, it just shows that language is secondary, if you like, that it's actually the musical style, the way you get people to sing. That's what seems to bring people's yeah. hearts and faith mm -hmm. alive. Well, as we've said, you, you are now emeritus as far as yes. your official position with All Souls goes. But obviously, continuing in a freelance capacity to, to bring music and joy. And uh, and I think travel and writing. Yes. And it's a chance, if you like, to to respond to invitations yeah. uh, and to uh, whether they're large scale or small scale. I think like just chatting with you, yeah. I, I love the small and people think because you go to the Albert Hall, you only do the big. That's mm. what you do. Mm. But actually to, to go to a church with, you know, 10, 20 people or to go to a big conference, mm. all these opportunities to dialogue and debate yeah. and, and bring music into the mm. lives of people. It's all important. For the person who might be starting out, you know, 
cast yourself back to when you yes. began. Um, obviously, a different time now uh, and, and a different sort of scene. But what would be your advice for anyone who wants to take a similar journey, bringing the gospel and Christ's love to yes. people through music whether it be there are moments aren't there in life where god seems to move quickly Mm. and things change rapidly more often it would seem observing history that uh, christian growth is is something that's that's long term and 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 takes a period of time Mm. so i think just encouraging uh new and upcoming um people who are perhaps classically trained musically trained who want to then devote their life to music ministry is I think patience and love is, is an important part of because things do move slowly. Mm. But also loving people and uh, recognizing that people do have opinions. I mean, people say, I know what I like <laughs> and I like what I know, you know, all mm. that sort of stuff. That You're going to get that in church a bit, but actually to lovingly woo people. The power of prayer is important. So the power of persistence, the power of prayer. Um, but also these days, there are so many uh, resources available online mm. Uh, in fact, All Souls Orchestra now has uh, a publishing arm, the All Souls Orchestra publications. Uh, so anything that anybody hears on a recording of ours, mm. you can even just download the keyboard part mm, or the mm. guitar part, or, or you can have the full orchestration or just whatever instruments you like. One of the things that I've enjoyed doing over the years is to experiment with harmonization. In other words, not saying you only ha- don't only have to have the three chords that the composer had. Mm you can begin to bring it alive and make it your own by adding in what you call secondary chords or chromatic chords or suspensions. Sorry to be technical. (laughs) So to encourage up-and-coming people not just to take what's on the page, but to develop and create a bit of a language Mm, of their own. Make it their own. Yes, because sometimes the surprise, not only the key change, but the surprise of a different chord, a minor chord, a major chord, uh, can really bring a hymn to life. So encouraging people to be not only prayerful, persistent, but also to be creative and resourceful and experimental, uh, I would do. But whether it's also as orchestrations, whether it's uh, looking at the Getty websites, all the different websites, the praise charts and so on, you can now facilitate instrumental mm participation much more easily than you could in the pioneering days Mm. when you had to write your own arrangements and and ultimately it's it's all for god's glory and all about bringing people into his presence indeed and if people are gifted uh we we hear don't we that god gifts his people he gifts his church for works of service and i believe i'm gifted as a musician okay all right, I enjoy music myself, but I'm gifted as a musician for a reason. Mm. And we're given platforms through radio and through press and writing for a reason. And that is to bear wisdom and testimony to, to God, witness. Uh, and so I've been gifted because I actually want to share those gifts. And I think that's something that just goes on and on, that we never mm. stop sharing who God makes us uh, and the opportunities and the gifting that we've got. Uh, we, you know, until our dying day, I want to serve Christ with this music making and this passion for Christ and this passion to allow all these different sorts of music to uh, engage with people and draw them into the kingdom. Well, well, I pray that that will continue for many years to come. Noel, thank you so much for being my guest on the profile. Pleasure. Thank you for drawing all these things out, these happy memories <laughs> as well as these philo- philosophical thoughts. Justin, God bless you as well, well and God, everybody listening. God bless you. If you want 
More from uh, the, uh, the, the, the back catalogue of All Souls. AllSoulsMusic.org is a good place to go. And uh, don't forget, if you enjoyed today's show, you can listen to more from The Profile. Wherever you get your podcast from, it's available there. And of course, it's available in the magazine too. You can find uh, more interviews with Christians from all walks of life. Uh, get a free sample copy over at premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. And we'll see you again for another edition of The Profile next week.